Rachel, do you mind reading this passage? Um, It goes for a few slides. How much more do I need to say? It will take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death, but others were but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, and destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All of these, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip of every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honour beside God's throne. Think of all the hostilities he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Okay. Thanks, Rachel. So today we're looking at the final appeal made by the preacher of the Sermon of Hebrews. Um... And it's about the power of faith, as you may have guessed. But before we unpack that, I want to look at another type of appeal that you're probably familiar with. So take a look at at this. Uh, I think you'll probably recognise it. There you go. (laughs) So now you want to go and wash your clothes with vanish, right? I think it's a bit deceiving, Malcolm. (laughs) I use vanish, so it's it's not bad. (laughs) <laughs> what uh, what is this ad asking you to do? Trust. Sorry? Test. Trust, yeah. Trust, yep. trust what? Trust the product. Yeah, what are they what are they claiming that it's gonna do? It's gonna be like brand new. Yep. You cl- it's gonna remove any stains and it's gonna restore your clothes to new, right? So what does the ad assume about your life? It's dirty. Yeah. You get stains on your clothes. <laughs> does anyone not get stains on their clothes? I actually, yeah, I have a load in the laundry at the moment with some vanish in it, getting rid of some stains. Um, <clears throat> what evidence does it present to support their pitch? Witnessing. Yeah, it shows him washing the thing, hopefully in vanish. Stain that apparently can't come out with regular washing. Yeah, 
and then it is out when he's finished washing it with finish. <clears throat> so what faith do you need? In this. The same thing will happen in your life if you apply the same steps. Yep. And that, any anything else? That you actually did wash the thing in that thing. That's right, yep. And also that it is actually hard to get out, that it's not something that just normal detergent would get out, as, as, as Mary said. So, um, <clears throat> finally, what difference will it make to your life? Yep. What? Get your old favourites back. That's right. You can reuse your old favourite clothes. Yeah. So now let's contrast the appeal that Vanish makes in their commercials with the appeal the preacher of Hebrews makes at the end of his sermon. Keep in mind the passage about the faithful that we just read, that Rachel just read a moment ago. Um, so the preacher says, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. Uh, so skip the that bit there and let's just jump down to verse 12 so also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by by means of his own blood as we just talked about in communion so let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace that he bore for this world is not our permanent home we are looking forward to a home yet to come Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. So let's ask the same questions about this pitch as we did about the ad. What is the preacher asking you to do? Yep, believe what? Sorry? Yep, that there's a better home in the future, yep. And how do we get that? By accepting Jesus. That's right. <clears throat> and he also tells us not to be tempted by the world's ideas, right? Yep. To stick to Jesus. So... What does the preacher assume about our lives? They're tempted by the world. Yeah. Yeah. And what does his what does his sort of uh, prescription to trust in Christ? What does that assume about your life? It's dirty. Yep, that's right. It's stained, <laughs> and nothing can wash it out except the blood of Christ. What evidence does he present for his case? So remember the passage that we read right at the beginning as well. So yeah, the blood of Jesus. All the previous fathers. Yep. 
Anything else? This is tough because I'm not showing you the, the text and it yeah. wasn't a nice snappy ad that was designed to shove information. Great, great of us as well. That's right, yeah. The faith of the ancient saints. Mm-hmm. And this passage that we just read actually starts with remember the faith of your leaders. So it's the faith of your current leaders as well. <clears throat> so what faith do you need? What faith do you need in that, according to the preacher's message? What do you need to have faith in? Grace. Yeah. You need on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. What else? There's a better home in the end. That's right. That passage all the torture that the people went through, and they would have had to have faith that they Yeah. That Jesus is actually preparing a new home. Yeah. And you need to have faith that God is real and that Jesus is basically God, right? To be able to do this. So just as you need to have faith that Vanish is actually telling the truth, you need to have faith that Jesus is actually truly powerful enough to do this. And what difference will it make to your life? Eternal difference. That's right. That's that's right. And You'll you have eternal sure that you can trust the preacher more than you can trust the advert. <laughs> There's no deception yeah. or stretching of the truth. So you can see that buying stain remover is, is, is similar, but it's a bit different from becoming a Christian or indeed rejecting Christianity. Right? Rejecting nappy sand or accepting nappy sand has slightly different consequences for your life from accepting or rejecting Christianity. So let's just unpack this a bit further. Now, the preacher of Hebrews, he's well aware that the call to Christianity is much more serious than the call to use vanished stain remover, although he wouldn't have actually been aware of the call to use vanished stain remover, but you get the idea. And so the evidence he's presented to support this call has been much more impressive than a quick cut to a clean shirt. The preacher recognised that his listeners were Jews and were already aware of the reality and faithfulness of God through his interactions with Israel for over a millennia and a half. He piggybacked on that, demonstrating that Jesus was even better than anything that had come before. And then on top of that, he warned in vivid terms of the dangers of failing to carry through, failing to persevere. So that's something that the nappy sand ad didn't have. It didn't show what happened if you didn't use nappy sand. It sort of implied that there was some consequence, but it didn't show it. But the preacher in Hebrews makes very explicit what happens if you don't trust Christ. Now we, as Christians, are in, as, as 21st century Christians, are inheritors of three and a half millennia of God's faithful engagement with his people. We've seen the world transformed in many ways by God's faithfulness and and we should be well aware of Jesus' superiority to any religion or faith, not just Judaism. But with persecution coming, 
the preacher recognises that we cannot simply rely on cold, hard evidence of God's past faithfulness. Indeed, the greatest motivator of all for any activity is future results. That's what the Vanish ad is trying to use. You too can reuse your beautiful shirts that are all messed up by your toddlers. But faith in God's different. The ultimate results are not successes in this world, even though God does often deliver this. And the passage in Hebrews has a whole list of those. Rather, the true results of being a child of God are eternal life. But eternal life is not something you can demonstrate, whether you have a 30-second ad or, or multiple lifetimes of experience. Eternal life is in the future for everyone, oh, except for one person, Jesus. That's why Jesus is so central to the message of Hebrews. Accepting the reality of eternal life requires trust that God can and will deliver such a thing. Sure, Jesus has received it, but can we trust God to deliver it to us? In other words, it requires faith. As the preacher says at the beginning of this section, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So we don't have evidence of the reward of eternal life because such a thing is in the future, a future we cannot yet access. And so in place of evidence, in place of evidence, we have faith. Faith is not, however something that you hold despite evidence. Faith is an extension of evidence. It goes beyond the evidence, but it remains consistent with it. The preacher of Hebrews has spent his entire sermon giving evidence for Jesus' superiority, his necessity in our lives, and his trustworthiness. And now he asks us to go beyond this evidence through faith. So let's review again his argument for faith. He says, By faith these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, etc., etc. He's reminding us that God is real. He has power over everything. And he is on our side. Then he goes on and says, women receive their loved ones. He, he finishes that section, women receive their loved ones back again from the death. But then he goes on to say, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. So he turns then to the reality that his listeners are about to enter, the reality of persecution, of death. You see, God's plan does not involve his triumph in this world. The world is too corrupted to be fixed. To repair this world, it must first be unmade. 
This is the consistent teaching of Scripture, and we see it finally realized in Revelation. In chapter 20, verse 11, it says, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. This is when the, the final presence of God is fully manifested. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. So they were gone. They were destroyed. And then in chapter 21, we see, along with John, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Because God's triumph exists in the future, not in our present, we cannot look at our present circumstances as if they presented the full picture. Sorry about all those presents there. We can't complain that our shirts are still stained because God's promise is not that he will remove all the stains now, but that he will remake our clothes at the end of time, giving us new eternal clothes. We won't just get the same old boring shirt back that's going to fall to pieces eventually. We'll get a new shirt that will last forever. That sounds like a good deal to me. Robe of righteousness. Yeah, that's right. Which brings us to the question, what sort of faith do we need? We, the people in this room, here in Australia, in Queensland in 2021. Well, it depends on what sort of persecution we'll face, right? The problem with persecution is that it is, is that it's easy to understand it as evidence against God. Evidence that God isn't trustworthy, that he doesn't have our best interests at heart. So far our persecution here in Queensland has been more a form of social ostracization along with increasing temptations. But times are changing. We face actual persecution being arrested and tried for speaking the word of God or obeying him. For example, the voluntary assisted dying bill before Queensland Parliament, this is a euthanasia kid, makes it illegal for hospitals or doctors to refuse to assist in the process of euthanasia, of killing someone. So a Christian doctor or hospital administrator who refuses to participate on the basis of his or her biblical understanding of the inherent value of human life will be treated, if the law is passed, as a lawbreaker by their own government. There's no actual specific sort of um, punishment in the legislation, but you'll be breaking the law. These encroachments into our practice of our faith, of of our Christianity, will continue. This is the direction that our society is headed in. So we, as 21st century Queensland Christians, must have faith that God is at work despite what happens to us. But there is another way in which we need faith. Our modern world is much more integrated across the planet than ever before, and this places enormous pressure on our faith. How so, you may ask. You probably are asking that. 
Earlier this week, I was listening to a podcast conversation between Sean McDowell, an apologist who teaches at Biola University, and John Steingard. John Steingard was previously the lead singer of Christian pop-punk band Hawk Nelson. Yeah, I know, I've never heard of them either. (coughs) Yeah, yeah. Until, in May last year, he announced that he was abandoning his Christian faith. Okay? In the course of the conversation, which was about that, about his abandoning his faith, John revealed that a major catalyst in his deconversion was a mission trip to Uganda. This is a picture from Uganda, not from his mission trip, but he would have seen things like this. It turned out that he was so shocked by the terrible conditions there, the high infant mortality rate, the low life expectancy, the terrible poverty, etc., that his confidence in God's loving nature was shattered. How can I believe in a loving Father God when he allows such terrible suffering? Was his reaction. You see, John thought he understood God, and it wasn't until he saw the terrible suffering of his brothers and sisters in the faith that he realized that the God he believed in didn't exist. John explained that he had understood God's love as delivering the blessing of an ideal parking space, which is obviously very much from the perspective of the comfortable life that a North American takes for granted. He's Canadian. So do we think that God is a God who exists to answer our parking space prayers, like John did? Sean McDowell gently pointed out that Uganda has one of the highest proportions of Christians in the world. 85% of the population identify as Christians. Clearly the Ugandan Christians have a different view of God than John had, and still has as far as I'm aware. Their suffering helps them truly value the suffering of Christ, and they understand how much better he is than everything else. And they trust that he will deliver eternal life in the future rather than a comfortable life now. They're not confused. They don't think they're getting a comfortable life now. They know they're not. So their hope is in the future. Their faith can can thus withstand the terrible suffering that they experience. So the challenge that the preacher of Hebrews offers his listeners and that God's word offers us is do you really trust God? Do you recognize the supremacy of Christ? When life turns ugly, when you encounter others experiencing horrendous suffering, when cancer comes calling, When a child dies, when you lose a job, when you're thrown in jail, when your friends abandon you or worse, attack you, when your church splits, when everything seems lost, 
Do you trust God? Let's pray. Father, we know that your purposes are larger than our lives. Even your purpose for our lives is larger than our lives here on earth. You sent your son to die for us. Help us to trust in you. Help us to cling to your promises no matter what. We know you love us. We know you've given so much for us. Help us to remember that and to to believe it. Amen.